We're going to start off turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to talk about four different ways that God kept the Apostle Paul humble. The first thing we're going to notice here is that Paul's opponents, you know, whenever he preached, he always had critics in the crowd. A lot of them were Jews who felt that Paul never should have left Judaism to go to Christianity. And there were other Christian uh, preachers at the time too, who made fun of Paul because they wanted to lift themselves up and their own reputation up so they would criticize Paul. And we're gonna see in scripture here that Paul's opponents continually made negative comments about him. Now, have you ever had anybody make negative comments about you? I know I have, going all the way back to grade school and probably kindergarten too. I got picked on and you know, people would say nasty things to you, uh, talk about you behind your back. And unfortunately, it still continues into our adult years. You know, maybe people we work with or neighbors or whoever it may be, even relatives sometimes, might make fun of us or say negative things about us. How do we deal with that? Well, let's look at Paul's example. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse one, Paul says this to the church at Corinth, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am quote-unquote, timid. So Paul had the reputation from his critics of being a timid person, okay? He says, I, Paul, who am timid when face-to-face -face with you, but bold when away. So this is what Paul's critics said. He seems like a little timid guy. He's not much of an apostle. You know, how, how can he have been called to preach the gospel when he is such a, a timid person? Notice in verse 10, he says, for some say, this is what his critics say about him, for some say, quote, his letters, his epistles, are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. <laughs> so can you imagine? as an apostle of God to have people say that about you. Now, it may or may not have been true, but Paul was able to handle these negative comments. Notice in verse 17, this is the way Paul looked at negative comments that were made about him. He said, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So Paul didn't pay much attention to the comments that the critics made about him. You know, he may or may not have been a good speaker, but his power was in writing letters to the churches and to Christian leaders. People criticize in order to lift themselves up. That's why they criticize you or make fun of you or talk about you behind their back. They're about lifting themselves up. But what Paul did, 
he focused on what he was gifted to do. And I think he was most gifted not only to lead churches, but to write letters. That's why today we don't have any recordings of Paul's sermons. What we do have is his writings. Of all of the books of the New Testament, there are 27 altogether in the New Testament. He wrote 13 of them and maybe 14 because we don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. He may have written it, but he certainly did have his name attached to 13 of the other books of the New Testament, the epistles. So Paul was criticized a lot. He didn't let it bother them. You know that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we need to be the same way. You know, people may make comments about us. We know that we're here to please God, not necessarily other people in our lives. It's God who counts. It's, it's him who, who we want to please. So Paul was kept humble by these continual comments and criticisms of him. But he didn't let that dissuade him from doing the work God had called him to do. Now, a second way Paul was kept humble is that Paul's authority to be an apostle was questioned by some. Now, after all, Jesus called the original 12 apostles, remember? Amen. He called them specifically, but Paul wasn't one of them. Now, we know one of the original 12 apostles, Judas, hanged himself after he betrayed our Lord. And the apostles at that time in the book of Acts actually chose another apostle to replace Judas. But along later comes Paul. And as it became apparent that he had the authority of an apostle, and he was called by Jesus Christ to be the apostle to the Gentiles, some people questioned that. And they said, you know what? He didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't one of the original 12. So how can he call himself an apostle? So this is something also that kept Paul kind of humble because he was a latecomer. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 7. He's talking about Jesus and, the, and his resurrection from the dead who he appeared to, verse 6, it says, After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Verse 7, Then Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Now what does that mean? Well, it means that Paul came late on the scene. He wasn't one of the original 12 apostles. He had not lived with Jesus as the other apostles had. His entry into the apostolic office was not normal, if you will. Furthermore, he felt unworthy because of the persecution that he had put on the church when he was still a Pharisee. So notice how he refers to himself. Last of all, he, he, Jesus, appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Verse 9, for I, Paul says, am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect no I worked harder than all of them yet not I but the grace of God that was in with me so Paul was kept humble he had the office of an apostle. He was fulfilling the office of, of an apostle, but he knew that he wasn't one of the original ones. He wasn't one of the 12. And his relationship with Jesus came later than with the others. Notice in Galatians chapter one, it does seem from, from Paul's writings that he did spend time with Jesus later. After Jesus had ascended up into heaven, Paul had the opportunity somehow to spend time with Jesus. You know, after Paul's conversion, and we talked about that last week, he was on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians, to persecute more church members, and God knocked him off the horse, Jesus revealed himself to Paul, struck him blind to get his attention. He had to go to a man to meet, to have, to have him pray over him so that he got his sight back. But right after that incident, Scripture says that Paul went to the wilderness of Arabia, where he was taught by Jesus himself for three years. Just like the original apostles spent three years with Jesus during his earthly ministry, Paul, after he was converted, was drawn into the wilderness of Arabia where he had time to spend with Jesus. So notice Galatians 1 verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So Paul, because of the heavy responsibility he was going to have to oversee all of the Gentile churches, Jesus Christ made special arrangements to spend time with Paul personally in the wilderness. Notice verse 15, it says, But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I might, may preach him unto the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. So Paul explains in a humble way. He doesn't make a big deal about it. And you have to kind of read between the lines a little bit to find out what he's talking about. He went to the wilderness of Arabia where he was taught by Jesus himself for three years, just like the first 12 apostles. So even though he was humble about it, even though he felt like he was a latecomer, he had the proper training from Jesus and he did have all the rights needed to preach the gospel and to oversee the churches. And uh, in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, 
after all of this happened, he went to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles. They heard what he preached and they said, it's obvious by the fruits that this man is showing that he deserves to be called an apostle. He's doing the work of an apostle. Galatians 2, well, beginning in verse 1, he says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run the race in vain. Verse 6. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. So it became evident. They heard Paul preach. This was after his conversion, and they saw that he was preaching the truth. And they, he didn't get that from any other apostle. You know, he didn't go to apostle school or anything like that. He got it directly from Jesus Christ. So despite people doubting his authority, he knew what he was called to do, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And it became evident as time went by and God was working in him. So, you know, sometimes people question your authority. And uh, you just have to carry on and do the work God has given to you in spite of criticisms that you receive. You know, I remember I've pastored several different churches. And, you know, sometimes I would start pastoring a particular church and a lot of times people would make comments. You know, well, this guy doesn't preach as well as the last pastor we had here. Or, uh, you know, they would just uh, marvel about the last pastor that they had and what a good guy he was, what a great preacher he was, and he did this right and he did that right. And I know that they really loved the last pastor that they had, but sometimes it makes you feel a little worthless, like, well, what am I, chopped liver, <laughs> you know? But it's because people are speaking from the heart and they really love that last pastor that they had. But what can you do? You just have to carry on and do the best job that you can in spite of com comments that people might make. Well, I hope that they're not personal, but uh, what can you do? You got to carry on. And that's what Paul did throughout the rest of his life. In spite of the negative comments that people made about him, in spite of how people questioned his authority to be an apostle, he knew that he had that calling from Jesus Christ and he did the best that he could. He gave his life. So sometimes we as Christians get criticized, don't we? You know, sometimes uh, when people find out that we're Christians, what do they do? They watch us. They analyze us because they think that we're putting ourselves above other people, which we're not, because as Christians, we should be the most humble people of all. But they just feel that, well, come on, nobody can really be a Christian today, can they? And, and when you let people know that you're a Christian, this is human nature in, at work, they watch you to see if you're gonna slip up. 
They're, they're going to wait for you to use bad language, or they're going to wait for you to lie, or they're going to wait for you to... And you know what? We're imperfect. We still make mistakes like that. But they're just looking for ammunition to use, to say, okay, this is the guy who says that he's a Christian. Well, you know what? I caught him in a lie. So what kind of Christianity is that, you know? So in spite of criticisms we get, in spite of comments that people make, we have been called as sons and daughters of God the Father, with Jesus Christ as our Savior. And all we can do is carry on and do the best job that we can. In spite of the mistakes that we're going to make, we just humbly, you know, if we do make a mistake, we apologize for it and move on. And that's what Paul did. So this is how God kept Paul humble. He allowed people to make negative comments about him. He allowed people to question his authority. The third thing, God made sure that Paul knew that he was a sinner and that he needed a savior. And you know what? We are humbled every day of our lives when we realize that we still sin and every day we need a savior. None of us have progressed to the point <laughs> that we don't make mistakes from time to time. You know, I'll raise my hand as somebody who still stumbles, who still messes up from time to time, does the wrong thing, and I'm reminded when that happens, yeah, I'm so glad I have a savior who has paid the price for my sins. And God keeps us in a repentant attitude, and we need to be aware of when we mess up. And we need to continue to go to God and say, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. I, it was a stupid thing that I did. I'm sorry for it, and I'm so glad that my sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Paul really gives a, a wonderful uh, statement here about his struggle with sin. Romans 7, verse 14. <clears throat> He says here, what shall we say then? Oh, I'm sorry, verse 14. Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Now this is a, an apostle talking here. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So what he's saying here is, you know, I know what's right and wrong, but from time to time, I mess up and do the wrong thing. And again, this is an apostle of God talking here. He's not perfect and he admits it. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, sin, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Wow, you mean to tell me you can be an apostle of God and still sin? Yeah, that's what Paul's admitting. And he had the guts and the opportunity to freely share that with all the churches and with us to this day. And it took a lot of courage for him to do that but we're so thankful that he did say that because then we realize, oh, 
you know, when I slip up and sin, it doesn't mean I'm not a Christian anymore. It means that I'm struggling in the same way Paul did. Struggling to do the right thing. To follow the spirit instead of following human nature. So Paul is saying, listen, I know we're all struggling in this way. We're fighting against sin. I do it myself. I have to do it myself. Let's read on a little further. Verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I go, <sighs> Paul struggled the same way that we all struggle. And like I said, this was very humbling for Paul to write this to the churches. And don't forget, all of his letters were read out loud to the different churches that he sent his letters to. So everybody in the church knew that Paul still struggled with sin, as we all do. But let's read just a little bit further. Verse 21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. So he doesn't leave it right there. He goes on to say this, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how I'm rescued. I have a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And even though I still struggle with sin from time to time, I have the peace to know that those sins are paid for, they're forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that's a humbling thing to explain <laughs> to church members, okay? But we're all in the same boat. And I'm so thankful that Paul spelled it out here. You know what, if, a, if an apostle can still sin from time to time, wow. When I do stumble, I have encouragement from him to know that it's okay. Those sins are forgiven, hang in there, continue to try to do the right thing. We all have two natures in us still. We have a Holy Spirit, but we still have a, the, the carnal human nature in us. And it's battling from time to time within us. Hopefully, the longer we're in the church, you know, the battles are easier, the battles are won more often, but it's never going to be over until Jesus Christ returns and we're changed. We're totally transformed at that time. And from that point on, we'll ne never sin again. But until that time comes, we're still struggling. So that was a humbling thing. Paul was honest about his own struggles and sets us an example of true repentance and faith. You know, before you can become a Christian, you got to repent. In other words, you got to know that you're a sinner. And that's a humbling thing. And you got to admit it to God. You got to say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. 
and I need a savior. I want Jesus to be my savior. And I know that his sacrifice on the cross will pay the penalty for my sins. My sins will be forgiven. And instead of death, I face eternal life. And it's all by your grace, all by your mercy. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm, I'm undeserving, but since you extend this gift to me, I, I receive it, I take it, and I thank you for it. So Paul set a wonderful example for us of what repentance and conversion is all about. The fourth thing that kept Paul humble is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul calls it his thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 2. Paul talks about how not only did he spend time with Jesus in the wilderness, being taught the gospel and the meaning of the gospel, but Paul also had another special vision where he actually went to heaven. Now, he doesn't know if he went bodily or if it was just a vision that God caused him to see, but that's special. That's, that's a special privilege on the part of God for Paul. He talks about it. He doesn't even say, you know, I did this. He talks about it in the third person. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Now, Paul's actually talking about himself here, but he's a humble guy and he's not going to boast about it. He talks about it as if he's talking about a completely different person. Now, what does it mean to be caught up to the third heaven? Well, the way it was looked upon in this day is that there's three heavens. The first heaven is up in the sky where the birds fly. The second heaven is beyond that into the area of the solar system, you know, where the planets and the stars are. That's the second heaven. The third heaven is God's dwelling place. So when he says, I was caught up into the third heaven, it means that this guy he's talking about in the third person, it's himself, he had the opportunity to visit heaven. He says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard, in paradise, inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. So it happened to him, but he wasn't going to talk about it as if he's boasting about it. He put it in the third person concept. He says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. But verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, what was the thorn in the flesh? Was it some sort of a physical ailment, a painful problem that he had of some kind? We don't know. He says in verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
And you know, sometimes when we have problems, whether it's a painful physical condition, whether it's problems in relationships with other people, whatever the case may be, sometimes this is God's answer to us. You know, I'm not gonna remove this problem for you right now. You've got my grace, you've got eternal life. You've already received that through Jesus Christ. But the lesson I want to teach you is that my power, God says, is made perfect in your weakness. Because when you're weak, when you're in pain, whatever the situation is, it's time for you to draw closer to me and to rely on me more. And sometimes you need opportunities like that in your life to keep you close to me, God says. So we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. And it's good that Paul doesn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh was. It was a bad thing. It was from Satan. God allowed it. But it tormented him. It's a good thing we don't know exactly what it is because, you know what, we can relate to it then. If he would have said, oh, it was my aching back or my, uh, you know, uh, hernia or <laughs> whatever, we would say, well, we didn't have that problem. We can't relate to that. But by him not explaining exactly what it was, we can relate to it. Because we've got a lot of things in our lives over the years that have been thorns in the flesh for us. And Paul says here, God allowed me to have this to keep me from becoming conceited. We've got a lot of things in our life, I think, that can cause us to be conceited. That we're better than other people in this or better than other people in that or we're taller, or we're slimmer, or we're more handsome, or we're more beautiful, or we have nicer hair, or, you know, we can become conceited about a whole host of things. But when you have something in your life like a thorn in the flesh, whatever that is, and it's not good, it keeps you balanced. It keeps you dependent on God. It keeps you from, from becoming conceited. We all have had, we have all, maybe some of us currently have, or we all will have thorns in the flesh as this life goes on. And the purpose of them when they come is to keep us from becoming conceited, to keep us humble, to keep us dependent on God. Let's turn finally to Romans chapter 8, verse 17. So God worked at keeping Paul humble because he was going to be an apostle. He was going to oversee many churches. He was going to write powerful, inspiring letters. And there was a lot of things that Paul, it could have gone to his head, in other words. And he could have thought of himself as something real special. And God didn't want that to happen. And you know what? He works with us in the same way. So he allowed people to make negative comments about him, and Paul had to deal with that. He allowed people to question his authority. Paul had to deal with that. God made very plain to Paul that he was a sinner and that he needed a savior desperately. And finally, God sent him a thorn in the flesh that he chose not to remove and to just cause Paul to deal with it. And hopefully it was gonna draw him closer to God. Finally, Paul says in Romans 8 verse 17, now, if we are children, and we are children of God, then we are heirs, 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, because we're going to inherit many of the things that Jesus Christ himself has inherited since his return to heaven. If indeed, if indeed, we're going to be heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So part of the Christian life is suffering. Last time Paul wrote a list and we went through that list of all the things he suffered. How many times he was beaten? How many times he was shipwrecked? How many times he was stoned and left for dead? And on and on and on and on to the point that he was finally martyred in Rome. He was beheaded for being a Christian. Paul understood and we should understand too, if we're to be children of God, which we are, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, then we can also share in his glory. So sufferings are par for the course for a Christian, as they say in Gulf. Be sure you don't bring unnecessary sufferings upon yourself. But even if you're careful about that, sufferings will come from time to time. And they're for God's purpose, to draw us closer to him, to teach us to be humble. And again, we follow Paul as he followed Jesus. So all of these are lessons that we can apply directly to our lives today. And let's remember how Paul handled them and how he continued on with the work of God in spite of these distractions that came along. They're there for a purpose. Don't bring them on yourselves unnecessarily, but when they do come, by the grace of God, we can deal with them. God will help us, we'll draw close to him, and he'll see us through to the end.